Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. Uh, welcome to all of you who've gathered with us here in the room who uh, made it through the wonderful snowy weather, and, and uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us online. We like to begin our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord meets us here as we gather together to worship him. Uh, so let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God. Thank you for the, the beauty of the snow. Thank you that it's not sticking yet. Uh, thank you for all the ways that you bless us and all the ways that you are with us, especially when we find ourselves in need of your help, in need of your grace. Uh, and God, you know that today we come from all sorts of different situations. Uh, some of us are rolling in full of joy and praise and thanks to you. Some of us are, are barely making it, and uh, we are desperate to know that there's a God who is here and who hears our cries and who sees our circumstances and who can do something about them. Uh, so God, we thank you that you meet us here and you invite us into this conversation with you, that, that we get to pray and sing to you. We get to listen for you speaking through the scriptures. We get to meet you and receive your grace at the table of our Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to meet with the, the God who made us and the God who loves us. Would you help us to be open to you so that we might, we might hear what you want to say to us, so that we might receive what you want to give us, so that we might respond to whatever, whatever challenge you place before us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, come on up, Matt. We've got uh, our, our usual musicians are all either out of town or sick or, <laughs> or working or something. And uh, uh, some of you might remember Matt Blonick. Uh, he's on loan to us from, uh, from Calvary Church. And uh, he's led us uh, musically a couple couple, three times before. I'm trying to remember if this is your third or fourth time yeah, with us, but probably three or four. yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, so if you're able and interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above, praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy course above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with thrall and thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos? Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory. The King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Sing this out. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who slain. 
Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, he's worthy, worthy, oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. You give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you. give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. Your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only.
and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord this your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair and out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. O oh Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all of your wonderful deeds, I would never come to an end of them. Amen and amen. Pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mighty deeds that we see you do. Lord, they may not seem very big to most people. They may seem just ordinary to so many, and yet, Lord, when we stop and we look and we ponder, Lord, your mighty deeds are innumerable. We can never, ever really come to the end of the things that you have done in us and through us and for us and often in spite of us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for that reality. I thank you for that truth in our lives, that no matter what we see going on around us, no matter how dismal things may look for us, Lord, you are doing great and mighty things. No matter how desperate we may feel, Father, you are still God, you are still good, you still love us, and that fact is never going to change. And we thank you, Lord, for that. 
I thank you for gathering everyone here today. I know I say it often, Lord, but it doesn't mean any less today than it ever did before. For each person here, for what they mean to this body, for what they mean to you, Lord, I thank you that they are here and that they are opening their hearts and minds so they can hear from you what it is you have to say to each one today. Be with us in this service. Be with Pastor Rich as he brings your word to us. Lord, may, may we truly, truly take it in. May we truly, truly let it sink way down deep into who we are so that we in turn can be more and more like you. For all these things, Lord, we give you all the praise, honor, glory, and blessing because you alone are worthy. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. It is good to be together, especially uh, when winter starts to feel like winter. Uh, it's good to get inside and, uh, and to be together, to worship God. Uh, thank you. Thank you again, Matt, for leading us musically. Thank you, Pastor Judy, for leading us in that prayer and reading that scripture. Um, uh, just a couple of brief announcements before we dive into today's message. Uh, we would love to connect with you, especially if you're watching online and we don't get to shake your hand or say hi like we just did. Uh, so please go to livinghope.info slash connect. Uh, let us know how we can pray for you. Thank God with you. Uh, anything like that. Uh, if you've got a question or concern, please pass it along. And uh, that way we can follow up with you this week. Um, uh, you can also just leave a comment on Facebook or something like that. But if you want to make sure I see it, send it to that uh, livinghope.info slash connect and fill out that little connect card there. All of us in the room, you could do that too, or you could just grab one of those little cards on the table back there and uh, jot your comment or question or whatever or prayer need and uh, drop it in the box. If you're giving today, that's where that goes to. Drop it in that box. and uh, and then Or you can give online uh, like we do. Uh, it's, uh, it's January, which means tax season has started, and some of you want to have that little record of what you gave to the church last year, so you can take it to your tax person, or you can fill it in on your, on your software or whatever. And uh, so we've got those in the back. They're envelopes with your name on them, sealed. If you gave something this last year and you put your name on it, uh, then there's a letter in there from me thanking you and giving you some updates on kind of where that money has gone and some of the cool things that are, that are happening because of your giving. And, uh, and there's that list of what you gave. Uh, if you see any discrepancies between what you say, what you believe you gave, and what we have a record of, please let us know right away and uh, so we can track that down. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, yes. Um, we we're still doing this overnight warming center. That's one of the very cool things that we're able to do because of your giving. Uh, we have a building, and we can offer this. I can remember the days when we were starting out as a church, and we didn't have a building. We were just renting the Aberdeen Manor Banquet Hall on Sundays, and that's Back then is when the rotating men's shelter started in the churches, and we couldn't host them because we didn't have a place for them to sleep. You know, we didn't have a location of our own. Uh, but you guys have helped us to buy this building and to keep the lights on and to pay the mortgage. So we actually have a place where people can stay right now during the winter months uh, at night from 8 p.m. to 7 a.m. If you would like to help, uh, we would love to have you be here for... Uh, either the whole night, part of a night, whatever. Uh, some people do the first half, 8 to 1.30. Some do the second, 1.30 to 7. Uh, some people do the whole thing. Uh, if enough of us step up, then we can have two people on each shift, and then that way, if you get drowsy, it's not a big deal because the other person can stay awake. Uh, but, uh, but otherwise, then that one person just got to put the toothpicks in their eyes and make sure they stay awake all night. So if you'd like to help, uh, we would love to have your help. And uh, thank you for making that possible. Um, I'm the one that gets to hear the, the thanks, the, uh, all that kind of stuff. We've been getting a lot of that. Uh, we've been getting postcards, we've been getting emails, we've been getting calls. Uh, 
people who are very grateful that we exist in this community and that we're offering this to our neighbors uh, who need this. So I wanted to pass that along to you. Thank you for making that possible. Some of you by volunteering, many of you by your giving. Uh, so thank you for making this possible. Um, one thing, if, you, uh, if you've been coming here for a while or you just are here for the first time and you'd like to know more about us and who we are and what we're about and where you might fit, there's a little class called Living Hope 101 that I don't think we've offered since the pandemic hit. It's been a long time, which means there are probably several of you that didn't get a chance to go through this and learn more about us as a church. This is like our version of a membership class. If you wanted to like officially join the church, it'd be good for you to know like, oh, well, what do you believe about this? And it gives you a chance to ask questions like, oh, are you a kind of church that, that does this or believes that or, or whatever? It's a chance for you to ask questions. It's a chance for us to share a little more than what comes out on random bits here and there on Sunday mornings. So uh, the next time we're going to offer that is during the day on a Wednesday during the Unity Cafe that happens here. Wednesdays from 11 to 1230. Uh, we usually end up offering it uh, on a weekend as well, like on a Sunday lunch kind of time. And I'm sure we'll have one of those coming up again uh, soon. But, uh, but we had some people who said, hey, this time would work really well. And so if that works well for you as well, and you'd like to go through Living Hope 101, Wednesday, February 1st, 11 to 1230, uh, just let us know so we can make sure we've got enough uh, snacks or food and uh, handouts and all that good stuff. All right. Um, I was going to, I think there was something else, but now I've forgotten what it was. So no one's waving at me saying, hey, you forgot to mention this thing. So... Okay, good. Then we'll just pretend I didn't forget anything, and we'll go right in. Uh, <clears throat> we're making our way through the book of Genesis uh, this month, uh, because this year we're making our way through the Bible. Not the whole Bible, just like we're not able to talk about all of Genesis, but my hope is that each month, as we focus in on a particular book of the Bible, that that gives you a chance to like read that book. Uh, there are probably parts of Genesis that you have never read. There are probably some stories in there that you're like, I had no idea this was in our Bibles. Uh, or you might come across something like, oh, I've heard that phrase before. I had no idea. Oh, that's where that comes from. All right? Uh, there are lots of times that that happens. And uh, so I'm hoping that this month you are reading the book of Genesis or letting your app on your phone read it to you uh, while you do other things, while you drive. Uh, and so we're just kidding some of the high points uh, on Sundays. And then hopefully you can bring your questions maybe on Wednesday nights as we gather, or you can bring them to me on cards or emails or whatever, and we can then kind of address those if, uh, if that fits. All right? So... Um, <clears throat> The question in my mind today, uh, or the thing that's been interesting to me as I was preparing for this Sunday, uh, I, I was just going to keep following along the, the, the patriarchs, the, the heroes of, uh, of Genesis. You know, we talked about Abraham last week. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, I could talk about his son Isaac or, or his grandson Jacob. And, uh, and then the rest of the book kind of goes on to Jacob's sons and Joseph. Uh, and next Sunday, we will kind of bring it to a conclusion on the book of Genesis. Um, but as I was reading, I realized, man, these interactions between people and God are so unusual. Uh, so many of them are not what you would expect. And I, I started thinking about the kind of God that's portrayed for us in the Bible. Uh, you know, I don't know where you get your picture of who God is, uh, where, where you get that from. Um, and it would be really easy to take just little bits or pieces from here or there in the Bible and to, and to paint a picture that doesn't really fit the, the whole picture that we get as you read more and more of it. Uh, but there are some interactions with God that I thought, man, these are just, these are just crazy. Um, and I think they're the kinds of interactions that some of us find ourselves having with God sometimes. Um, so I think you might be able to relate to Abraham in one story or Jacob in another. Uh, we're going to look at two or three uh, quick stories today. Um, but it had me thinking about the book of Genesis and just the picture of God that's painted for us there. You know, we start out, if you just read the first few lines of Genesis, 
right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and, you know, all of this. And then God speaks, says, let there be light, and there was light. You could get a picture of a God who just kind of sits on his throne in the sky and just shouts commands, and the universe obeys. And you could get a picture of, like, a distant God. Unless you know as you read through Genesis 1 uh, and you have some Bible nerd that tells you like, oh, wait, but this is like a, a seven-day structure and this is it's kind of following the pattern of like temple dedications uh, of their neighbors. That when they would dedicate a temple, it would take a week. And, and at the culmination of the dedication, they would place the idol that represents their God, the statue there in the, in the center of the temple. And in Genesis 1, we find that God does place an image of himself in the center of his creation. But it's us. It's you and me. We are created in the image of God. And so, so God's creating this temple of a universe to, to dwell with us and for us to be his representatives, to bring out of creation uh, all of the, the potential and the beauty and the goodness, to, to do that work of caring for creation and cultivating it that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. And when we get to chapter 2, we really see a picture of God who gets his hands dirty, a God who is with us, a God who uh, walks with Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. Uh, oh, and even before that, a God who, you know, gets his hands down in the dirt and sculpts a, a human being out of clay and breathes into its nostrils the breath of life. It's like we sang just a little bit ago, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. You know, it's, God breathes his breath into us and the, the human statue becomes alive, you know. And then he performs surgery and takes the side of that person and makes another one so they're a matching set. Uh, we talked about that a little bit and how God creates Adam and Eve to be equal partners. And then sin messes that up. And, and uh, <clears throat> this is a God who could, at that point, when, when we mess things up, when Adam and Eve eat from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, it, you know, we could have had a picture of a God who, who the instant their you know, lips touch that fruit the instant their teeth bite through it. I can kind of picture like in a movie, like the, the music changes and the lighting changes, you know, and everything changes and all of a sudden the thunderclouds roll in and God just swoops down and says, what have you done? And, you know, they're hiding behind the trees and he just sweeps the trees out of the way and grabs them. And, you know, I, you could have a picture of God like that, but, but the picture painted for us in Genesis is a God who, like, is patient and is kind. And, and even though he had told them, look, this is going to kill you, he, he has mercy on them, and he, he exiles them, but he doesn't kill them. He comes to them in the garden and says, where are you? Even though God you know, knows they're hiding behind that tree over there, right? He calls to them. He invites them into relationship. He, he is so graceful. This is the picture of God that's given to us. And, uh, and as we get then into stories of God calling Abraham to, to leave his, uh, his home and to go to this land, he'll show him. And, and we looked at that last week, how Abraham does this. And Abraham uh, sometimes has great faith and demonstrates this and obeys God. And other times he, he fails. And we looked at that story with, with Hagar. But even then, we saw this is a God who sees the outcasts, who hears their cries for help, and who responds. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of God that Genesis gives us. And it's, it's not... It kind of avoids like simplistic little uh, black and white drawings kind of a thing. It's, a, it's as complex as any person you might meet and, uh, and their personality and, and all of who they are. We get to see um, kind of a full-orbed picture of God here in Genesis. And so some of these interactions, like I said, are, are kind of unusual. Um, there's one you might have heard about where Abraham... Um, uh, there are these three guys that, that they see walking, you know, walking by, and hospitality is huge in that part of the world, in that culture, um, in part because if people aren't hospitable, people die, right? I mean, not like you can just walk up and, you know, go to a hotel someplace. If, if you're traveling and you need someplace to stay, it's going to be someone who lives there who's going to take you in, give you shelter, give, provide you with food and drink, and that's what Abraham does for these three strangers who walk in. Now, we are told 
that this is like angels or God, the Lord. We're not exactly sure if it's angels or the Lord. Some, the, the, the story kind of shifts at different times. Um, but it's not just human beings. And they're visiting Abraham, and they're looking out over uh, kind of down the hill at the, at the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah, these, these towns are, where Abraham's nephew lives. And they're saying to themselves, uh, to each other, like, oh, we got to see, there's, there's been an outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah. We got to see if it's as bad as we've heard. And if so, there's time for consequences for these folks. And, uh, and that's actually where the story, uh, where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 18, says when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And, and he talks a little bit like kind of to himself uh, or to each other or whatever there, uh, saying he's going to be a great nation. We're, we've got plans for Abraham and he's going to teach his kids to, to be righteous and to do justice. And uh, Okay, let's tell him. And so the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. It's kind of a weird thing for God to say. Uh, like, we've heard this outcry about how bad it is. I'm going to go down and investigate. Like, well, God, don't you just, like, see and know everything? You know, but, but the picture painted for us in Genesis is a God who is interacting with people and who is patient with people. And so he's, he's, he's telling Abraham, I'm going to go see if this is as bad as I've heard. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And this is where we know, like, oh, it's not just angels. Somehow he's, the Lord is present here. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham, like, really steps up here and uh, kind of confronts God in, in, in this. I, as I was preparing, I was reading some of the scholars who know the original languages and know the Hebrew culture and all of that really well. They said that phrase where, where Abraham approaches him is it's almost language of like a, a courtroom, like, like an attorney who's stepping up to, like, uh, make their case. And so Abraham is stepping forward and he's saying, Hold on a minute. Wait. And he, and he appeals to God's nature and who God is and says, you're, you're the judge of all the earth. You'll do what's right, surely. And so surely you won't just uh, wipe away the whole thing if there are righteous people in it, right? Well, there are 50 righteous people in the town. And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And that's not where the story ends. Some of you know this story. It's an unusual story. Then Abraham spoke up again. Uh, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. <laughs> He's like, I, I know my place here, you know. Uh, what if the number of the righteous people is five less than 50? We destroy the whole city for lack of five people? You know, what, what, what if, if, if you're counting them up and there's like, oh, there's only 45. Oh, shame if there had been five more. Could have spared it, but, you know, didn't hit 50. If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. Oh, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I'll not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. 
Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? It kind of seems comical to us because we don't speak this way, right? I mean, we don't, we don't say like, oh, I'm only dust and ashes. You know, if someone is speaking to the president or some powerful person, you know, in our world, we don't grovel, really, right? Uh, I mean, people refuse invitations to the White House, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, this, this is typical for like how people would have approached a king or a sovereign in those days. And so Abraham is doing just like as if he were approaching like some high muckety muck, you know. He's recognizing, God, you are Lord of all the earth. You're the judge of all things. And so he, he speaks up with confidence, but he does it in a way that acknowledges, look, I know, I know my place. And he, and he just keeps pushing. Where, where did we stop? Where, where were we? 20. So, oh, for the sake of 20, I'll not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. uh, It's kind of unusual, right? Uh, It's kind of this bargaining with God. And and that's something I think some of us have experienced, the whole bargaining or negotiating with God. That's even one of the... was that one of the stages of grief, I think, uh, bargaining? I mean, this is something I think many of us have encountered at some point where you try to strike a deal with God, you know, God, if you'll help me, then, then I'll, you know, be a good boy and I'll stop my vices and I'll show up at church and, you know, maybe that's why you're here today, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we've, we've done that at different times and um, this kind of reminds me of that a little bit. It's like, come on, God, please, what, what, what about this? Oh, what about this? It's like a negotiation taking place. And he starts them out at 50, gets them all the way down to 10, and, uh, and just one step at a time, one step at a time. And he does this appealing to God's own nature, appealing to who God is. He says, look, I, I know who you are. I know who you've shown yourself to be. You're the judge of all the earth. I'm confident you'll do what's right. And so it doesn't seem right that you would, you know, treat the righteous just like the wicked. And, and he's imagining, I'm sure he's imagining his nephew living there and thinking, Okay, Lot, <laughs> I got I to gotta try, gotta try to stop this because I don't know what kind of influence you've had there. And, and maybe at first he's thinking, 50 people, surely Lot's had a good influence. You know, in the time he's lived, how long has he lived there now? Okay, I'm sure he's had a good influence on his neighbors there. Um, maybe he's turned some of them around because, you know, that Sodom's got a bad reputation. It's a little bit like the Vegas of that era, you know, or something like that. It's the sin city uh, of, of the time. And he uh, starts out at 50, and I, I kind of wonder if Abraham is just thinking like, oh, I don't know, Lot's kind of an introvert. Maybe he hasn't had as much of an influence as I'd hoped and, you know, keeps on whittling him down until right down to 10, which is as low as he felt comfortable going. And God says, okay, every step of the way. We've got this picture of a God who has heard that things are bad, has heard an outcry. And, and this isn't the first time God's heard something crying out and responded. I don't know if you remember, way back in the early chapters, in Genesis chapter 3 or 4, I'm trying to remember, the first siblings, uh, Cain and Abel, where uh, we see something that we'll talk about a little bit next week, the sibling rivalry that's present throughout the book of Genesis. Um, the very first brothers that we read about in the Bible, and, and one kills the other. And, uh, and God comes down and says to Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And this language of of God responding to people's cries, we saw it in the story of Hagar last week. We'll see it again when we get to Exodus, and the people are crying out because of their slave masters. This is a God who's listening. This is a God who's paying attention. He has heard an outcry, uh, which it doesn't mean like there are people out there uh, 
It's not like God said, oh, I heard a rumor on Facebook that these people are really nasty. You know, no, this is, this is God having heard from people who are in pain uh, saying, we need help. Uh, this isn't other people pointing their fingers at Sodom and Gomorrah. This is people who have been impacted by them, who are, who are hurt by them, and they're crying out for help. And God hears those cries, and he's come to investigate. And he's willing to interact with us. God, numerous times in the story, God changes his plans based on human interaction. That, that, I got to say, that just seems crazy to me. You know, God's the one who sees and knows everything. You know, God knows, you know, what's going on. He, he knows the thoughts of our hearts and the whole deal. And to think that God would, would say, I'm going to do this, but then because someone asked nicely <laughs> or something, he says, eh, okay, and, and changes his mind. That's the picture of God that's given to us in the Bible. Our, our prayers really matter. Our interactions with God really matter. They, they make a difference. Uh, Numerous times in scripture where God says he's going to do something like destroy a city or something like, I'm thinking of the, the story of Jonah uh, that's later on in our, in our Bibles, um, where God sends Jonah to Nineveh to, to tell them, hey, 40 days you're going to be destroyed. Jonah eventually, after a detour through a whale, whale's guts, uh, gets there and, and says, uh, you know, you're going to be destroyed. And the people repent and God doesn't destroy them. He withholds the destruction he was going to bring, which ticks Jonah off, and there's a whole thing. Uh, <clears throat> but this is what God seems like he does over and over again. We see Moses do this. Uh, we see um, we've already at some point in the story, oh, I guess not at this point, a little bit later, Abraham's son Isaac uh, uh, prays for some people. Uh, prays for, Isaac prays for his wife. Abraham prays for somebody else. Anyway, we see people pray for other people, and God respond. This is a God who interacts with his people and, and takes us seriously. This is not a God who just stands off in the sky, shouting commands, who just rules over everything, uncaring what goes on, what the consequences might be of his decisions. This is a God who comes down into the midst of the lives that we live, who hears our cries for help and comes down to help, comes down to maybe end some oppression, which makes you want to be careful not to be one of the oppressors, okay? Makes you want to not be one of the people causing other people harm and causing other people grief because the God of the Bible is a God who hears their cries and who does something about it. All right? I, don't, I don't want to be one of the people in Sodom who get the, they're the ones that get the fire and the brimstone that rain down on them later on. Okay? We don't have time to, to go into that story. Right. <clears throat> I just find it fascinating that this is a God who is willing to entertain Abraham's. And, and I'm guessing that Ab <laughs> right before this in the story, God has just told them, uh, hey, you're going to have a child. And Sarah, next time this year, I'll come back and Sarah will, will have a child in her arms. And Sarah snickers back there at the tent it's like I'm, I'm old and shriveled up i'm not having a kid and uh and my husband is too you know this isn't happening and and god says what, what you laughing about back there you know and she's like oh, oh didn't laugh you know and i says yeah yeah you did hey i'm gonna be back next year and you're gonna have a child and they name him isaac which means laughter because of her because of her laughter this is a god who who you know knows what's coming who's, who's there with us uh, it's a God who responds to, and so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, like, when God tells Abraham this, I kind of wonder if God knows, like, ah, uh, and then he's going to want to bargain. You know, he's going to want to speak up. His nephew's down there. Um, you know, so I, I kind of wonder, like, but, but God goes through the conversation. He, he invites, you know, he's open to the conversation, and he responds to it. Now, as the story turns out, there aren't ten righteous people uh, it's just Lot, basically, and his daughters uh, who make it out alive. 
Um, but God helps them out alive. Even though God is destroying the city, he rescues the, the few righteous people that are there. It's a God who interacts with us, who is present with us in the midst of the story, not just the author of the story who stands back and doesn't get his hands dirty. This is a God who is continually getting his hands dirty. Now, another um, famous moment is in Genesis 22, where it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. This is a, a hideous thing for God to, to ask of him. All right, now we've been told God is testing Abraham. Abraham doesn't get that news, right? All Abraham hears is, take your son. And there's, a, there's a, one of the rabbis back in the day who thinks that maybe the progression here is God knowing that like in Abraham's mind, as he says, take your son, and Abraham's thinking, well, I've got two, Ishmael and Isaac. He's like, no, no, your only son. And like, well, this is the only son of one mother. This is the only son. The son whom you love, Isaac. Like, just to make sure there's no confusion you know, take Isaac, the, the son that I've told you that it's through Isaac that, you know, your offspring are going to happen. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. <laughs> take Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Which is the kind of thing some of the other gods in the area demanded from time to time, would demand child sacrifice. And if ever there was a moment for Abraham to speak up and say, excuse me, God, what I know of you, you're not the kind of God that asks this. And Abraham doesn't do it. The, it just, after that, it just says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and, uh, and the story continues. He takes the sun, takes the wood, takes the knife, you know, takes a fire. They go up to the mountain. And, uh, and just as Abraham is about to do it, it says he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Again, there's this, this weird situation. Now I know. It's like God, God wants to see what we will do and how we will respond. Um, which part of me can, can kind of understand, right? I mean, no, no matter how well you know a person, until that moment happens, you don't know for sure how they'll respond, right? You can be pretty confident, you know. Um, you can be pretty confident how they'll respond. Um, like, I've been married to Stacy now for 26 years. I'm pretty confident that if I ask her, hey, do we have any of this in the kitchen? I can't find it. That she's going to be annoyed and that she's going to respond with something sarcastic. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and she's not going to want to have to go, you know, she doesn't want to have to walk into the kitchen and open the cabinet and go, you know, it's right there. You know, how could you not see that? Um, you know, no matter, no matter how well you know someone, though, you don't know for sure how they'll respond until that moment happens, right? Um, and so here's God placing before Abraham a, a massive test. Will you trust me? And there are some, there are some little hints along the way uh, when Isaac asks his dad, like, so where's the lamb that we're going to offer to God on this mountain? Abraham doesn't say, like, oh, it's you, you know. He, he says, God will provide the lamb. And sure enough, that's what happens. God provides a ram in the thicket. They offer that, and the place gets named like God provides um, and so Abraham trusted God. And there's, some, there's a uh, conjecture in the New Testament. Uh, I think the Apostle Paul is the one who says that, like, 
you know, Abraham knew that God could raise the dead. And so maybe he thought like, well, I'll, I'll go through with this, but then God will bring Isaac back. And, you know, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to obey God no matter what. Um, but still, an unusual interaction. Uh, made all the more unusual to me because Abraham just spoke up for his nephew Lot and then doesn't speak up for his son Isaac. But, but it's a God who, is, who wants to see how we'll respond, who wants to know what's in our hearts. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, of one of the Psalms, Psalm 139, um, where he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. You know, see, see what's going on in me. Um, see if there's any uh, wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, the psalmist invites God, like, if you need to know what's going on in my heart, go ahead. Because I, I want to know if there's anything in there that, that shouldn't be there. Uh, any, any unwillingness to, to trust you. If there's any part of me that wants to, to do things my own way instead of doing things your way. Uh, but there will definitely be times in all of our lives where God is, you know, inviting us to step up. Inviting us to respond. Hopefully not in a way like this. If, if you do feel like God is telling you to do something like that, uh, I suggest you talk to somebody about it first, right? Uh, talk to somebody and say, I think God wants me to, you know, because there are people that think God wants them to do all kinds of things, right? Okay, talk to somebody about that first. Get some wise input from somebody who's been walking with God for a while. And, uh, uh, but there are def- definitely going to be moments where, kind of put up or shut up moments, where God invites us to trust him or not. And... Uh, I don't know what that's going to be for you, but I hope that when that moment comes, God is able to say, ah, now I know what's in your heart. And, and this is the moment then where God reiterates his promise to bless Abraham and to bless the world through him. Now, Abraham does, you know, Isaac grows up. Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau, and uh, <clears throat> Esau is, uh, is kind of the dad's boy, and Jacob's kind of the mom's boy, if you read the story. And there's all kinds of sibling rivalry all over this story. Um, Jacob is named Jacob because as they were twins, and as they were born, this is another, you know, with us with our twins, and we're thinking about baby names, thought, well, I can't do Jacob and Esau either. That story doesn't really go the way we want it to. Uh, these, these boys did not get along, and we want our boys to get along. Probably we settled on David and Jonathan uh, instead, but, um, sorry, somebody asked me when I mentioned Cain and Abel a couple of weeks ago, they said, well, what did you name your boys? You didn't, David and Jonathan are our boys' names because David and Jonathan were best friends. They weren't brothers, but they were best friends in Scripture, and we want our boys to be best friends. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Jacob and Esau were not. In fact, as they're born, Jacob is holding on to Esau's heel, like, as they come out, almost like he's trying to pull them back, like, no, I want to be born first. And they name him Jacob, which means heel or heel grabber or deceiver, or I think the connotation is like, uh, have you ever done that? I, I remember doing this and having it done to me back in my younger days where it would be a group of people walking along, uh, students or whatever, and somebody, like, they, they tap the side of your heel so that as you're walking, your heel goes this way, and then you trip and you fall down. Have you done that to anybody or had anyone do that to you? Uh, well, you just, you just knock their heel sideways a little bit. Works, works like a charm. At some point, my boys are going to discover this, and they're going to do it to each other constantly. Uh, but I'm not going to be the one to teach it to them. All right? They're not listening right now, so they're, they're back there not learning this. Um, so I kind of think of that when I think of Jacob. You know, he's the, he's the, he's the tripper. He's the, he's the deceiver. He's a heel. And that's, that's the role he plays. He, he swipes his brother's uh, birthright as the firstborn um, for a bowl of stew. He, uh, <clears throat> and eventually he ends up tricking his blind, aging father, uh, pretending to be his brother Esau. And there's a whole, there's a costume, there's a smell, there's a... You know, there's a meal, there's a whole thing where he and his mom conspire to trick his blind old dad into blessing him instead of blessing his brother and uh, 
It's ugly. Ugly enough that Jacob has to go on the run and for years uh, lives out with their uncle, his uncle Laban and, and he gets tricked plenty of times and, and comes back to, to bite him. But uh, as he's making his way home, um, he has a couple of interesting interactions with God. There's one I didn't have room to put in here where he goes to sleep out in the wilderness and he's, he's nervous because he knows he, I'm on my way back home. My brother's probably not happy with me. Uh, you know, it's been years since we've seen each other. Last I heard, he wanted to kill me. And uh, he's out here sleeping in the wilderness and has this vision of a, of a ladder or a stairwell or a ramp or something from heaven to earth. And God, and the angels going up and down and God speaks and says to him, hey, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to bless you. Um, I'm going to be with you. And kind of God really reassures him. He wakes up saying, wow, this is like the, the house of God. And he names it Bethel, which means house of God. If you see Bethel written anywhere, and some churches have Bethel in their name, that means house of God. And it comes from this story, the moment with Jacob. And then there's this moment where Jacob is really getting close to, uh, to home. And he's begun to already kind of organize his family and his possessions and his things. He's sending people on ahead, hoping, like, saying, like, hey, uh, brother, um, these are for you. You know, like these possessions of his, like, eh, this is a gift. Why don't you just enjoy this? This is, this is for you. And um, he's really, really nervous. And he has this moment where he prays. And he says, then Jacob prayed, oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father, father Isaac, Lord, which Lord, with, when you see it with the all caps, sorry, you can't see it on the screen, uh, but in your notes, if you've if you got a Bible that doesn't like the small capital letters, that lets you know that's the name of God, Yahweh, that's, that's in the original. Um, and so he's, he's naming God, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He has this moment of prayer with God where he's, he's kind of doing what Abraham did earlier, right? Where Abraham's saying, God, aren't you like this? Right? You know, Abraham is appealing to God's character. Jacob is appealing to things God has said and saying, God, you've, you've said this to me. You've told me this, and, but I'm nervous, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that this might not work out the way you've promised. And that's the that's way I know that we've interacted with God at times, right? Have you ever done that? If not, I encourage you to. I've heard numerous Christians who've said, like, man, I, I'm kind of standing on the promises or I'm claiming the promises of God. They, they're, what they mean is they're, they're looking at things that God has said in Scripture that apply to us. And you know how sometimes you're reading Scripture and you can almost feel like God's, like, highlighting something and saying, this is for you. And you've had one of these moments with God where you feel like God has told you, yes, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You feel like God has told you to do this thing, to take this risk, to, you know, like Abraham, leave your family, to go some, you know, whatever it might be, um, to do something for God. You ever had one of those moments and you have to, like, appeal back to God in your prayers. Say, okay, God, you've said this. I feel crazy nervous right now, but you have said you'll be with me. I, I feel scared, but you've said you know, that you'll do this. And, and so he's appealing to God what God has said and God's history with his family. And uh, I don't know that he needs to say this to God. It's not like God has forgotten. Like, oh, I did say that, didn't I? Okay, fine, I'll be with you. You know, uh, I think that's probably more for Jacob, just like I think it's probably more for us when we pray that way, uh, that we remind ourselves. It's kind of like some of those Psalms where, where David talks to himself and says, oh, my soul, you know, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. My soul, me, hey, you in there, uh, praise God, you know, don't forget his benefits, don't forget what he's done for you, you know. 
that he's appealing to God on, on behalf of what God has said. And then, here's this crazy interaction with God. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, crossed the ford of the Javik River. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This is kind of out of the blue. Only he's alone, and some guy comes by, hey, you want to wrestle? Okay. You know, and they just wrestle all night. You know, we don't, we don't know. Uh, <clears throat> just says a man, he wrestled with this guy until daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man, which I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know, you know, like, boop, and like, ow, you know, or if it was more like, pow, and like, oh, you know, I'm not sure what that looked like exactly, but his hip is like knocked out of socket. Um, but Jacob's not letting go. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. This Jacob has been after blessings his whole life. He is still looking for a blessing. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. I kind of wonder if he's like, eh. yeah, my name is, I'm a heel. You know, I'm a deceiver. Jacob. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob, and apparently the wrestling match was over because the story just goes on. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. So the understanding of this story has been that he's wrestling with God in some way. This is more than just a man, but this is God who's able to change his name and pronounce blessing. And it says the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. And, and it goes on to say, that's why we don't eat this part of the animal, the tendon attached to the hip, because of this. It reminds us of this moment where our ancestor, whom our nation is named after. I mean, the, the, the people of Israel get their name from this encounter, from this, from this man, Jacob, who was full of good and bad and ugly and um, who wrestles with God, struggles with God and with people and has overcome. And that's what Israel means. It means struggles with God. He imagines like, oh, so our name is struggles with God. We'd be, you know, why can't we be, uh, you know, the the faithful ones or the, you know, the the mighty warriors for God? Like, no, we are struggles with God. That's who we are, and that's often who we are. <laughs> People who struggle with God, who wrestle with what God wants of us, who who struggle to believe that God will be faithful to His promises. Um, and if you find yourself struggling with God, I guess. I guess I want to say you're in good company, right? Um, that you're not alone. If you're wrestling with what God asks of you, with who God is, uh, with questions about God, because there are definitely other parts of this story, and some of them, I guess, that we looked at today, they're like, I don't know if I like that God. You know, a God who would ask this of a person or, or a God who would do what I'm reading here. If you're wrestling with God, that's, it's not only okay, it's kind of expected, um, it's kind of expected that we'll wrestle with God. It's kind of expected that we, will, that we will struggle with this. I think that's kind of what God is after. Um, yeah, because I think that's honest. I think that's, I think that's true uh, to who we are and to our experience. Um, and so if you're wrestling with God, it's a good place to be. And there, there's blessing uh, in that. Uh, now, you might walk off with a limp, you know, it, there might be repercussions, um, but those repercussions aren't all bad. Uh, and that might be what you need to do 
um, if you're going to be faithful and follow God and be the person God wants you to be, it might involve some wrestling. This is a God who apparently shows up you know, for Jacob when he's in the middle of his distress and knows this guy's got to wrestle this out. <laughs> um, he, he's struggling. And so, I, I, okay, this, this is what he needs. This is what I'm going to do. And this is a God who's willing to hear the, and bargain with Abraham. Uh, it's a God who's, who's willing to be merciful and patient and draw us out into conversation, uh, to draw us out of hiding. Uh, a God who loves us and who never gives up on us. It's a God who's present in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our lives. This is the God that's portrayed for us in Genesis. And the God who, as we'll see next week, uh, has good plans for us. That through all the ups and downs and even the evil that's done to us, God is at work in all of it for our good. But that's next week. Right now, let's pray um, before we celebrate communion, before we go. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, being with us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of life. Uh, there's never a moment that you haven't been with us, God. Uh, there's never a, a struggle that you haven't seen or been a part of. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to be honest with you. And when we feel like you might be being unfair, uh, God, I pray that you'd help us to, to turn to you and to appeal to your nature and, and who we know you to be. God, if there's a moment where we're struggling with uncertainty or with fear, God, I pray you'd help us to be honest with you about that and, and that you would remind us of the things that you've said that you'd remind us of the promises that you've made so that perhaps we can have the confidence to, to continue on. And God, especially for those uh, who today are, are wrestling with, with questions or doubts or concerns or maybe they're just not sure about this whole you know, Christian project, um, God, I pray you'd help them to keep wrestling, to not let go until you bless them, until you reveal yourself, until you help them to see themselves as, as you see them, <clears throat> just like you saw Jacob, Israel, you knew who he could be, you knew who he would be, and what you would do through him. Please, God, help us not to let go of you, uh, even when we need to wrestle things out. You are good to us, God. And we see that throughout the story of Scripture, from Genesis right on through to, the, to Revelation. God, we see it most clearly in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, when you showed up on the scene uh, to shine your light into our darkness, uh, to lift us uh, out, of the, out of the pit that we were in, as Pastor Judy was reading earlier, uh, to lift us out of our slavery to sin and, and to set us free. Jesus, you did this for us by, by taking our sin on yourself, by experiencing our death, and then overcoming it overpowering death, sin, the devil, by your death and resurrection. You're the one who gives us confidence uh, to come to our Heavenly Father, to receive the mercy and grace that we need. So thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that today we can put our trust in you. God, thank you for the gift of this sacrament of Holy Communion. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We offer ourselves 
acknowledging our need of your grace and mercy, acknowledging the ways that we have not loved you with our whole hearts, loved our neighbors as ourselves, and acknowledging the wrestling that some of us are still in the middle of. But God, we're not letting go of you. So today, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would meet us here, that you would change us, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, um, extending your grace and your love to the people that we are surrounded by who need to know that there's a God who loves them and is with them. Thank you, God. Thank you for the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, as Matt comes back up to lead us in one last song, we're going to celebrate communion together. Uh, I've asked Pastor Judy if she'll help us serve this today. Uh, she'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and then return to your seats. Uh, we've got the regular bread and the gluten-free wafers and the little individual cups if you need one of those. Or we've got those on the tables if, uh, if you don't want to join the procession. Uh, but this is open to all of us, every last one of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are saying, God, I, I'm not going to let go of you. Uh, I, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need you to go with me into the week ahead. I need to know that you will be with me. Uh, so if that's you, you're invited to come and to receive grace at the table of our Lord Jesus Christ.
to find you in the place your glory dwells. One thing I ask, one thing I ask, and I would seek to see your beauty, to find you Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, and thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, and thousands elsewhere. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. Your spirit's water to my soul. I've tasted and I've seen. Come once again to me. I will draw near to you. I will draw near. Better is one day in your course, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your course, and thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your course, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your course, and thousands elsewhere. Better is one. Better is one day, better is one day, and thousands elsewhere, thousands elsewhere, thousands elsewhere. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you for joining us here today for reminding us that you are with us in the midst of our struggle, uh, that you come to us in the midst of the lives that we live uh, to bless us, to be with us, to strengthen us, to give us your grace, to give us your spirit. Again, God, I pray that, that you would fill us with the spirit of Christ today so that we might live in this world as your, your people, your body, your hands and feet, your sons and daughters, blessing others as you have blessed us, uh, giving grace to others as you have been gracious to us. Thank you, God. Thank you for inviting us into this very real relationship with you. We are so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.